Hello and welcome to the Golf Shake podcast as we make a long overdue return to the airwaves. You could say that we've been on a summer holiday in recent weeks, but I've been sitting here all the time, microphone to hand, waiting to speak. However, we are back this week. My name is Kieran Clark, and I'm joined once again by my returning regular co-host Owen Davis, who has been a difficult man to track down in recent weeks. All summer, as he trotted across the nation and the continent, bringing tremendous to- content to you across the Golf Shake channels and playing a little bit of golf at the same time. But I must quickly thank two of our recent stand-ins uh, during Owen's absence. Uh, we had Stuart Armstrong and Josh Jeffrey, who were terrific guests on our podcasts for the Open Championship and the PGA Championship not to mention our special St Andrews and Kings Barnes focused edition that ran over by about an hour and 20 minutes. Two great guys, they were fantastic and they will certainly be back in the future. But as I said, we have recovered Owen from his mysterious disappearance and he is back with me today. So Owen, welcome back to the podcast and as you've been absent for the past couple of months, I have to quickly ask you, as we're now in September of course, how was your summer of golf? Hi, Kieran. Uh, nice to speak to you again. Um, yeah, it's been fantastic. I, like you say, I've been gallivanting uh, all over certainly Europe, if not the world, and um, played quite a bit of golf along the way, which is good. To be fair, I did speak to you at the Open, and I'm sure did you cut me into that podcast? We had uh, we did have a good chat, and um, it turns out that although public Wi-Fi has greatly improved at the Open and these events it's not good enough to sustain a podcast. So uh, I, I did talk to you, and I, I seem to remember tipping Jordan Spieth, so uh, hopefully you took my advice on that one. Uh, yes, no, it's amazing, you? Owen, that you remembered that, because I, I didn't, but yes, you did actually tip Jordan Spieth. Um, although I think you kind of, you sort of, you tipped Jordan Spieth and about 10 other players, but we'll give you the benefit of the doubt there, yes. <laughs> yeah, well, true. But one of them was Jordan Spieth, so I'm taking all the credit. I mean... I was so astounded that I got a tip right on this uh, podcast that I just <laughs> took a break for a while. Um, but yes, yeah, so I've been a bit all over the place, um, mainly at uh, club launches. Um, so it's been a really, really busy summer uh, in the industry. Lots of manufacturers launching, uh, lots of new gears, uh, gear, um, an awful lot of irons actually launched. Not a whole lot of drivers, but a lot of sets of irons have been launched um, um, this year that will come in, come to the market kind of autumn time and then really be prevalent next spring so been learning a lot about that and um, like you say creating a lot of content um, with with some partners of ours and some friends of ours on tuition uh, and that sort of stuff so been a busy boy and uh, yeah, too busy to speak to you obviously. Which is an awfully terrible thing to say how could you be too busy to spend time with me because I'm here as kind of like your shoulder to cry on and I'm kind of your your kind of a uh, your, your key man here to talk to. But yes, obviously, as you say, there are plenty of equipment releases coming out in the past few weeks, obviously from Mizuno and Titleist in particular. Those two kind of grabbed a lot of attention with their new irons they've brought out. And we'll talk about those in more detail later on in the podcast because obviously Owen's tried them out, tested them for himself and can give us a, a bit of insight into each club and which one would suit your game the best. But obviously, talking about playing golf, and Owen, you have played it played a number of golf courses across the continent in the past few months, but I think one that would really stand out to most people would be Le Golf National, which of course is next year's Ryder Cup venue, uh, famously seen every year on, on the French Open on the European Tour, widely regarded as being one of the, the best golf courses on the European Tour and indeed in continental Europe. It's obviously a, a very spectacular venue, 
a lot of exciting holes, plenty of water hazards there. It seems perfectly suited to match play. So when you were there last week and you had the chance to play a little bit of golf with one of uh, the UK's best-known golf YouTubers, uh, Mr. Peter Finch. So, uh, Owen, how was that experience and how many shots did you beat uh, Mr. Finch by? Um, I'm not sure we were counting too much. Certainly I was counting, but he stopped counting after a little while. I think... Uh... <laughs> The Golf National caught up with Pete. He certainly he's working on a couple of things in his swing and concentrating on a video at the same time. So I, I won't I won't rub it in too much. But it's a golf course that can certainly uh, punish you if you're not quite on your game. Uh, as actually, I was there with um, Galvin Green had invited um, some media over. Obviously, Galvin Green are, are doing the outerwear for the European t- team uh, next year, as they did at Hazeltine last time round, and they wanted to. Uh, talk to us a little bit about the product um, that, that is going to be part of the range that for next year and the, the improvements they've made for the European team and and also um, you know wanted us to experience the golf course as well so it, it was a fantastic trip and um, the golf national itself is an absolute brute of a golf course obviously we see it on the French Open every year um, we see what the scoring is like I don't know how Tommy Fleetwood shot was it a 63 or 65 he shot last round it was something like that, yeah. Yeah, I just like the mind boggles. I don't know how he did that. It was crazy. We played it with relatively little wind, and um, you certainly need a good bag of balls um, in order to play it. But um, in terms of next year and looking ahead to the Ryder Cup, I think it will be uh, an absolutely stunning venue um, for, for the for the spectators, especially. It's so easy to see the golf there, and I think one of the the big challenges with the Ryder Cup venue is. Uh, squeezing, you know, 50, 60, 70,000 people around um, four matches or maybe even one or two towards the end of the day, um, certainly in the first couple of days. So how do they do that? And I think the Golf National got a lot of answers as to how they make it a fantastic experience for the fans. Yeah, and Owen, you were there and obviously you heard some of that information about as to how they were going to create the experience to be as best as it possibly can be for the fans at the Ryder Cup. Obviously a huge attendance is going to be there. We've seen it actually for the Open de France as well, where the, the 18th has a, a wonderfully natural kind of amphitheatre there looking across the green. So certainly the setting is there, it's perfect for the fans, but obviously near Paris as well, obviously you know a big city, great transport links there. So how is the the fan experience going to be for the Ryder Cup next year, do you think? Well, I think it'd be great. I think getting, uh, we stayed actually in the centre, well, kind of west side centre of Paris. So it took us about half an hour, 40 minutes on a on a taxi journey, if you like. We had a couple of minibuses bringing us in and out. And um, so that experience was fine. And I think, you know, it being a major, major city, one of Europe's major cities, the, the transport connections will be uh, really good. There's, there's no particular intention to put on a lot of special transport um, to get fans out of Paris. But that points to the fact that, um, it's already in existence. It, it's there and happening. Um, there will be very few car parking spaces on the course, which will be quite interesting. That that everyone will be going to two or three points around the course, and there'll be several spectator zones uh, where you can you can access the golf course. So, um, you know, I think some of the plans are still in fruition. So I don't I don't want to say too much, but um, I think it will be a fantastic experience for the for the fans. It will be very French, uh, which is good, and I think there's a lot of um, a lot of work going on to make sure that um, the food um, and the drink and the whole experience is is very French and not just a kind of uh, UK American led uh, sort of sort of thing. And and you will get a very French experience. So I think um, that's fantastic. And I I think there's there's two two bits of the course which are going to be absolutely mind-bogglingly good. Um, there's going to be the first and second. 
which is the first is a dog leg round to the right with a, a lot of water on the left, uh, a big lake, and then you hit back over that lake um, to the second green, which is a par three, and um, and that really uh, will create a you know fantastic atmosphere. They're going to fit forty, fifty thousand fans around those two holes. So God knows what everyone's going to be thinking when they go to tee off um, there. I think the players are going to get a real shock shock to the system. Uh, not that they're not already used to it for the Ryder Cup, but uh, I think it will be an unbelievable atmosphere in those two holes. And then you mentioned the 18th as well. You've got uh, the 15th hole um, coming in, the 16th, which is a very short par three, and then the 18th hole as well all comes into the same point of the course with a huge amphitheatre. And hopefully a lot of the matches will go down to those last two, three, four holes um, and you'll see some some incredible drama uh, I'm sure. So a great golf course for the Ryder Cup. And I'm, I'm having been there and played it, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it will test the players. There'll be lots of mistakes, lots of balls in the water, lots of opportunities to win holes by being brave and going at the pin. So I think it'll be fantastic. Yeah, it should be. And I think it's fair to say that the Ryder Cup over particularly more recent years hasn't always been played at some of the best golf courses in the world. You know, many of them in the UK haven't been that great. You know, the Belfry is not necessarily the best golf course in the world. Neither is Glen Eagles. And indeed some of the ones in America haven't been too great either. But I think this one here, obviously, the Golf National has a great reputation. We see it every year. The players know it well. And it has kind of an iconic nature already. And obviously the Ryder Cup will probably enhance that going into next year. And of course, it should be quickly mentioned that the Ryder Cup qualifying for Europe actually began last week. So the points are already being accumulated. The players are already trying to get on that team for next year. And it should be a wonderful venue and hopefully a classic Ryder Cup as Europe tries to reclaim the trophy after losing it, of course, uh, last year. Yeah, but, Kieran, oh, and obviously, I, just, uh, I want to say, yeah, the, so the golf yeah. course it, it, especially is quite an interesting one in that um, I think the tour players absolutely love it. And, it, and I actually recently spoke to Matt Southgate um uh, a, a tightest ambassador about it and he picked it as his favorite course on the tour mm-hmm. um so i think that's like you said that's highly unusual that they're playing a golf course that they all love so much saying that if you're going to play it it is brutal it is really it, i think a lot of the a lot of the guys we played with found it quite hard work so if you're going to go and play it just be aware of that it's not necessarily the most charming golf course in the world uh, and certainly is fairly open uh, when you go to look at it for the first time but um, for for a tour player standard, I think they obviously yeah. Well, I think it's yeah. Well, any golf course for me owns a, a struggle anyway, so I don't think it would actually be much worse there. That's the way I look at it, and I kind of I, I find the Himalayas putting green in St Andrews you know, enough of a challenge. Never mind the Golf National, but yeah, obviously it's a golf course that's I think suited to you know golfers of a more acceptable standard, if you like. It's certainly one that would punish some people if they were not on their game. But again, people quite enjoy that. You know, they yeah. take a bag of balls and try and see how they can do, and uh, you know that's that's always kind of a challenge. Obviously, to play a golf course that is so well known now on TV every year obviously will be that reputation will only increase next year so it's obviously a, you know, a great golf course one that the players enjoy and one that I think will provide drama when you have so many holes that have water on them you know in match play that's just you know we get towards the finish you know tight games you know, that's going to be fascinating to watch and anything can really happen so you know no lead is really secure until the match is over so that's again in terms of drama that's a perfect ingredient for the Ryder Cup. So, yeah, it, it bodes well. Hopefully we get a good uh, a good match next year because you know, all the potential is there for it to be a real classic uh, Ryder Cup. But coming closer to home now, Owen, obviously you said there you've been to many different equipment launches in the past few weeks. Obviously, Mizuno, Titleist being the two main 
uh, releases of, of irons recently. But looking at Mizuno firstly, oh, and obviously they've brought out their S18 wedges. We've had the CLK hybrid. They've brought three new iron models out as well. And obviously Mizuno irons are extremely well known and, and revered by so many golfers around the world. Obviously one of the world's great manufacturers and brands. Obviously a great reputation right there. So Owen, you've tried out these golf clubs and uh, you know, how would they compare? Give us your assessment of them and how would they compare to some of the Mizuno irons of, of recent years? Well, I think um, the iron range, the MP18 is uh, a new iron range that has three different models in it. It has a, an all-out blade, um, what they're calling a split cavity, which is basically a muscle back, uh, and then a multi-material, which has some titanium um, in it as well and is, is a bit more of a cavity and has a bit more help. And um, I think the, the they are comparable to the last few years, but I think there's there's quite some key differences in what they've done. And they're actually more comparable to clubs that were made 20 years ago by Mizuno um, and you know Faldo has an influence in this as well so what they've actually done is they've gone and um, gone back to their master craftsman in in Japan and asked them to actually uh, really design these clubs for them before then uh, implementing um, things like you know CAD computer designs and that sort of thing so you've ended up with a club that has been um, created by the master craftsman and then had the science and technology applied to them before going to the forging process. And quite often it's the other way around. You, you'll actually get a, a computer design, then go to the forging process, and then the craftsman will get the hands on them to grind it out the way the tour players like it. So it's quite interesting. And what, what that's created is an iron. Certainly the all-out blade um, really looks like a, a Mizuno iron from 20 years ago, an MP11 or something like that. It's got a very high toe, very short head. Um, quite high heel as well so it's really noticeable and you can see that imprint of that kind of Faldo era Mizuno when a lot of the best players in the world were playing Mizunos um, not that they aren't now I think an awful lot of uncontracted players are playing Mizuno right now uh, which really points to uh, the quality of their clubs and the quality of the range um, you know when you mix in the JPX 900s with the MP18s you've got an awesome range um, so it's, re it's really impressive from them right now and I think they're onto an absolute winner with that, with that iron model Hey, you mentioned their own, obviously, Mizuno kind of going back in time to you know, go forward, if you like. Is that a trend in the industry right now where a lot of manufacturers are actually looking back to principles from maybe 20, 30 years ago and then updating them with the modern technology? Yeah, I think so. I think, um, you know, iron heads are, you know, the classic shapes. I mean, players obviously have known for a very long time what they want out of an iron head um, and, and the workability and what, what they what they want to achieve out of it so i think especially as the the better players end of the game there's only so much um influence of technology can have particularly in iron so it does become about um you know workability um what the eye sees confidence whether it's confidence through looking down on a small head and thinking i can work that and that that's a great shape or it's confidence in in the top lines and, and stuff like that so it, it is happening a bit certainly and i think you're seeing less you know, as as it, as manufacturers have, have experimented with different head shapes, head designs. Obviously, we've had square heads. We've had heads that have, you know, the Cleveland high bore springs to mind, where they had heads scooped out the back, the crown was scooped out. As they've experimented with these, and they're still left with the same parameters from the USGA and the RNA, they're actually coming back and saying, actually, we've done all we can with the experimentation. So we're going to come back to he classic head designs, classic shapes. We know what the consumer wants. And what can we do to tweak and improve those classic head shapes, really to create a product that is better than the last one, but 
but still has all the looks that a consumer wants. And that's kind of where we're getting to right now. Yeah. And obviously moving on to uh, Titleist now, obviously the last couple of weeks they've unveiled their new uh, 718 irons and uh, obviously a, a lot of press there, a lot of uh, promotion there as well. Obviously they've had the AP1, AP2, AP3, which is kind of a combination of the two. Yeah. They've had the TMB as well, which used to be an, a utility iron, which is now available for a full set. Uh, so when looking at those irons, obviously there's something for everybody there, obviously some uh, irons for the better players, some that are more kind of, um, you know, more easier to hit, more kind of game improvement irons. So how would you assess Titleist's uh, latest releases? Well, I think I think they're really good, and they're obviously building on a brand um, in you know in the AP range, especially um, that has been hugely success, successful for them. And it's really interesting, Titleist range. So they've always had the the MBs and the CBs. So they've got the all out blade, which is absolutely tiny. It's like you know I wouldn't advise anyone play them. You're on a you're going to be on an ego trip a little bit if you play those, but. <laughs> But they will certainly see, you know, some people will like them. And actually, some of the, a lot of tour players are playing them because they feel they get better distance control with the blade, uh, especially out of kind of jumpy lies. But for me, um, you've got to be a serious, you know, a world-class ball striker to play those. But the AP2 uh, iron in particular is quite an interesting one because that is the most popular iron on tour right now. Uh, and certainly the most popular iron amongst the tightest tour players. So... Um, they've got an iron that was originally meant to be more towards, um, you know, kind of not the mid handicappers, but certainly a, a handicap amateur sort of level of iron. It's going to be hijacked by the tour players, hijacked by the tour department. And they said, actually, uh, we want this iron to be a tour iron. So this this incarnation of it is actually very small. Um, it's quite noticeable. I think it's quite a bit smaller in the head shape than the uh, previous version of the AP2. So you will notice that. And it's very much part of the tour range. So it's forged, really fits in with the MB and CB, um, which has left this slightly confusing gap in the market for them. Um, so they always had this kind of AP2. AP1 is the big head. AP2 is the smaller head. They're both for handicap players. Uh, that's now not the case. So they've been left with this gap in the market where the AP2 has got smaller. The AP1 is still there as a big, chunky game improvement head. What goes in the middle? And this is where the AP3 fits in. Um, the slightly confusing message with that is the AP3 is actually a, a game improvement iron, um, you know. So it, it's it's kind of a funny funny part of the range. But I think they'll sell lots and lots and lots of AP3s. I think if you want a good looking club um, with quite a bit of help, maybe a bit of offset, um, it really does fit into the kind of ballpark for an awful lot of uh, players, maybe from four or five handicap all the way up to the high teens. So um, and that incorporates a huge amount of golfers, especially within the the Titleist family and the Titleist loyalists. So you see a huge amount of players playing those for certain. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and for anyone who wants to know more about each of these models, you can actually find more information on Golf Shake on either YouTube or on the website where we have Owen's been there. He's tested them all, reviewed them for himself, had a go at them, and um, Owen displays his skills and his ball striking and uh, can talk about each of the, the clubs and tell you which one's the best for you and uh, give you more information as to a specific spec and the kind of information as to each club and how they compare to each other. Some really good information there and we'll obviously link that up to the website and obviously YouTube channel as well. Go and check that out and subscribe to the YouTube channel if you can, if you have some time as well. Some yeah, good Kira, information Kira, there. But Owen, oh, most recently... Sorry. Yeah, sorry to interrupt you. Um, it's actually really noticeable how um, Mizuno with the MP18s and the JPX 900s have got six, six irons in the range now. Titleist now have six irons in the range, um, seven irons in fact, no, six irons, uh, and TaylorMade actually have had a couple of launches recently as well with a, a P790, a new blade, um, and they've now got seven irons in the range, 
So you've got three manufacturers with between six and seven irons in the range, which for the consumer, I think, is actually really confusing. Um, and, you know, it, it's quite difficult to know exactly what iron you should be using. And a lot of them are mixing and matching sets as well. And the tour players are doing this. I think seven out of ten sets on tour uh, are mixed sets. So you're not, you're not just saying, right, the MP18 multi-materials are perfect for me. You're actually going, actually, I want something lower down with a bit more feel and I'm going to mix and match. So I think what that does for the consumer is really puts the emphasis on going to see a fitter, uh, whether that's at a demo day or your local PGA Pro, and actually saying, you know, saying to him, what is right for me? Um, you know, how can I get the best out of my game in the top end of my set? How can I get the best out of my short game with the lower end of my set? And what consumers really need to be aware of is a lot of these, there's no standardization in loss. So um, a lot of these clubs have very different loss, even though they're in the same range. So you, you could have, you know, four degrees of difference in loss between a, a bladed seven iron and the game improvement seven iron. So you've just got to be aware of that, aware of the gapping. And, and I think a lot of the emphasis really goes towards the fitter and demo days. So if, if you're thinking about getting a new set next year, you're going to be met with this choice. You really do need to go and see, uh, a, you know, a, a demo day, uh, an expert and make sure it's fit. And you'll, you'll really reap the benefits of that. It will make a big difference to your game if you go and do that. Yeah, my mind is already blown by all the information right there and all Sorry. the variety of options. <laughs> it's so, confusing yeah, all. <laughs> well, it's, oh, to be fair, blowing my mind is not an easy, hard, not, not a hard thing to do. So that's quite, you know, quite easy. But for most people, obviously, you know, information is there. So again, as these clubs come onto the market in the next few months, obviously there'll be more demo days there and opportunities to go out and test them and try and get fitted for them and try and see which one is best for your game. And obviously, it's an individual thing, really. So every standard of golfer and every kind of feel for a golfer, and you know, they'll have different preferences and. Uh, Again, so many options there, which is good on one hand, but as you say, it can kind of mud, you know, mud, mud, muddle, muddle up the market a little bit and kind of muddy the waters a little bit as to what's clear and what's obvious and uh, what direction people should go in. But Titleist also released, uh, most recently, Owen, the 818 Hybrids. Uh, they came out uh, recently, they were and have unveiled the past couple of weeks, and they have been kind of marketed as not being rescue clubs, but as being scoring clubs. How accurate is that? Yeah, I think it's... Accurate to a, to a point, you know. In the end, they are hybrids, and they do have a lot of weight um, behind them. There's a bigger head, so you're going to find them easier to get up in the air. So, what what Titleist really want to do though is is to, you know, they've changed their product cycle. So, um, they've always, you know, stuck to a two year product cycle. I think a lot of brands have, cycle. Sorry, a lot of brands have been criticised for bringing out too many models. Titleist have never done that. They actually moved this to a one year product cycle just for the one time which was the last range with the 816s and that was to um allow golfers to um that was a big pointer to them saying actually this is an iron this is an iron replacement at the top end of the set we're going to bring them out with the irons they were traditionally always brought out with the fairway and woods and drivers so they're very conscious that they want you to replace um your three four iron with these hybrids um and be able to hit them into the greens and control them so a lot of what they've done um, to to make they made these head these hybrids quite small, um, so they have moved them more towards irons. They are still hybrids though, so um, you just need to be aware of that. But that, it obviously points to the fact that they they want golfers to improve, they want them to get better, and hybrids at the top end of the set is really going to help an awful lot of us uh, score a lot better. But um, yeah, not strictly true what what they're saying uh, about them being irons, but certainly compared to some other brands, they're pretty small head. Um, you will be able to control the flights a bit better with them 
uh, and, they, and they are more towards an iron than maybe a rescue club, certainly. Mm-hmm. And again, you can see Owen's uh, thoughts in detail on the, these new hybrids on the YouTube channel or on the Golf Shake website where we have Owen out there testing the golf clubs for himself on a very sunny backdrop that day, actually. Very nice weather. And uh, he was out there striping the ball off the fairway and uh, giving his thoughts on the club and how it was performing, how, how easy it was to hit and how the ball flight was and all the rest of it. So again, for that information there, go and research that and look it up. They'll have the links attached to that. just because it was in Scotland, Kieran? Is that, is was that, that in Scotland, was it? Really? Oh, there you go. That, was that a... A veiled, a thinly veiled pointer to Scottish weather. <laughs> was it really? Wow! There you go. This shows you. It, it never, it never rained in Scotland though, and apart from today when it is. But uh, well, generally speaking, the weather is fantastic. I actually, actually, I remember that you had to Archer Field there for the Titleist launch, and uh, it was, it was the, the east coast of Scotland. You're right. So very See, nice. There tip. you go. It's, See, Owen, the the whole whole Scottish weather thing is actually a myth created by Scottish people to try and put off visitors from coming here and taking up our tea times. That's the only reason we do it. They put you guys off and coming north of the border. That's that's all it is. Just a a very elaborate ploy. It's not really true. The weather is fantastic consistently, as I keep telling you. It's it's one of my pet peeves is people going about Scottish weather all the time. When honestly, it's not anywhere near as bad as people make it out to be, but that's... um, uh, my mini ran over there but in terms Owen, of playing golf courses whether it be in Scotland or whether it be anywhere else obviously this time of year the golf season's kind of winding down people want to kind of go on a little weekend break perhaps or a break during the week a couple of days away and Golf Shake now is facilitating that through the, the new Golf Shake Travel Hub on the website in conjunction with GolfBreaks.com where we bring to you every few weeks 10 new deals across the UK and indeed Europe bringing some of the kind of the, the best hotels and resorts and golf courses a one or two night stay usually a couple of rounds of golf for a really affordable price you know whether it be 70 pounds or 150 pounds depending on what rating the hotel is it be a three-star venue or a four-star venue or a five-star venue so obviously there's something there for everybody we have everything from Celtic Manor to the Abbey, Stoke by Nayland, Helladon Lake, Slaley Hall, which is obviously a popular venue, and then further afield we have La Manga in Spain, one of the great uh, destinations in Europe for golf. So, looking at these sort of short break options, though, and you have experienced a couple of these ones, but we're going to focus specifically on La Manga Club, which is a really popular venue, a five-star destination, obviously extremely revered, very popular, and people can go actually can get there through the Golf Shake Travel Hub for £249 per person for three nights and three rounds of golf on the free golf courses there at La Manga. So when you've been there before, tell us about La Manga and why should people take the opportunity to experience it? Yeah, okay. So, I mean, it is... Um, I, I went there on a trip a, a couple of years ago and I, you know, I'd heard of La Manga all my life, um, golfing life. You, you hear about it as this famous resort in Spain then you heard that it maybe wasn't what it was in the 80s and it was getting a bit run down and stuff like that. And then they've spent absolutely millions and millions and millions on on basically doing it up. And um, so I went there to check it out and I, my mind was blown away. I thought it was absolutely fantastic, a brilliant um, place to go and play for two, three, four days uh, worth of golf with your friends. Um, it's a brilliant place. It's actually bigger than Monaco uh, as a resort. Um, so it's bigger than a, than a principality, which is quite quite impressive in itself. So um, they've got all different types of uh, places to stay. And I think the deal you were talking about is in the hotel, isn't it? Um, and, and that's a, a fantastic five-star hotel. It's as good as 
I've stayed in at a golf resort in Europe. I think it's really top end, uh, beautiful hotel with a fantastic pool area. Um, and there's actually quite a lot of choices. You know, they've got restaurants in the hotel, but there's kind of eight, nine, ten restaurants dotted around the resort, um, including a very famous fish restaurant down in a in a beach that they've created uh, as well. And um, you know, I, I ate at an Asian restaurant as well in there, which was absolutely brilliant. So I think in terms of um, a place to go, if you don't want to leave the resort, if you if you're not really interested in in going off and seeing some of the, the local towns, you just want to go there, relax, chill out, play golf. Uh, maybe have a drink, a spa, something like that. Um, there isn't many better places. I can't think of a better place in Europe to do that. You've got um, three golf courses which are actually um, fairly distinctive, distinctive as well. Um, you've got the South Course, which is um, kind of their jewel in the crown, which has held the big events. It's actually probably my least favourite on the on the resort, but you will recognise some of the holes. It's got all the history there from the Spanish Open, uh, but it's very much palm trees, uh, quite wide open, fairly long. But that, that's kind of um, the jewel in the crown. The north course uh, is a bit more tree-lined, a bit more fun to play, um, you know, some quite sh- some shorter holes, more scorable. And then you've got the west course, which is um, in the pine trees, the Spanish pines, which I absolutely love. Quite quirky, um, but really, really good fun uh, to play. and really feels like you're in Spain, whereas the, the other ones uh, kind of feel a bit more like a Floridian t- type of resort. But three very distinct golf courses, all of them very strong, all of them very good. And you match that with the hotel offering, and you've got uh, a fantastic place uh, to go. And, and you might bump into, you know, Barcelona or Real Madrid, um, some fantastic football facilities where a lot of the best teams in Europe go and train. And equally, I think they have a world-class tennis facility, literally unrivaled in the world uh, in terms of the amount of tennis courts and the facilities they've got there to train world-class players. So if, if you're a sports fan and you love that side of things, it is absolutely brilliant place to go and, and play golf and and chill out for two or three days. Yeah, La Manga is just a, a fantastic resort, has an incredible reputation and uh, very highly revered and uh, is one of the, the, the finest in, in not just Spain but across continental Europe and is certainly the kind of the marquee deal in the Golf Shake top 10 right now. So I would certainly point anybody who is looking for a, a short break away, whether it be in the UK or further afield for a reasonable price to go and check out the Golf Shake top 10 deals right now. We'll have that link attached to the main uh, podcast article on the website and also you see it regularly promoted throughout Twitter and Facebook as well so it's uh, easy to access and it's certainly worth checking out because there's some fantastic deals there to take advantage of so Owen thank you for your time this week it's been a pleasure to have you back on the Golf Shake podcast and hopefully we'll not leave it for another two months until next time you're back on obviously so many great equipment releases now across the, the spectrum from Titleist to Mizuno TaylorMade and all of those reviews and testing uh videos and, and content are is available right now on the Golf Shake website and also on the YouTube channel so go and check those out uh, today and get all the information that you need to find out which golf clubs are suited to you and which are not and again there's so many releases out there right now it can be hard to kind of separate them all and trying to pick out the right one for you so but Owen's very knowledgeable as you can hear and he's very good at it and he'll certainly point you in the right direction and again the, the Golf Shake deals are, are worth checking out so Again, everybody, thank you for listening to this, this week's Golf Shake podcast. We came back after a, a month-long hiatus, but hopefully now we'll be back for a regular slot every week and uh, bringing some uh, discussion and debate and uh, all the latest news and topics to talk about, obviously, golf courses, golf travel, golf equipment. 
and obviously some tour stuff as well. So there's always a lot to discuss, even though we're now in September and the golf season in the UK is sort of on its last legs. But obviously there's so much to enjoy throughout the winter and into the autumn. So we'll we'll bring that to you in the coming weeks. So uh, thank you for listening to the Golf Sheet, golf sheet Podcast, everybody. Until next time, I'm Kieran Clark alongside Owen Davis. Thank you.